Amen. I don't know about you, I need that encouragement. To be reminded, he's got me. He's got me. It's, you know, like standing on the edge of the pool when you're learning to swim and dad says, it's all right, I got you. And you're so, uh, so locked up in fear, but there's a point you either are going to trust him and learn or you're going to live the rest of your life and not learn. And you just say, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust you, Father. This morning, I want you to turn with me again to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 2. Now, if you were not here last Sunday night, uh, you will get an excerpt of it. If you were here last Sunday night, you will get a little bit of refreshment. Uh, We had basically five priorities that we began to look at in the purpose and priorities of the church, and we got through one. So we're going to kind of go over it real quick and go through the others, I pray, this morning. Uh, I was talking to my kids this past week, and they were talking about an assignment they had for American history. And one, their assignment was they had to have four prominent um, times in American history prior to the 1900s that helped formulate who we are as a people and as our country. Very historical uh, events that changed the course of history. And I love history, and so we began to talk about it. And I said, well, what did you write? And they told me one or two. And they said, well, I wrote about George Washington, first president, all that. I said, yeah, and Thomas Jefferson. I said, well, what, what about the burning of the White House? Well, yeah, I thought about that, but I didn't. I said, well, what about the, the Boston Tea Party? That kind of kicked off the American Revolution. And Ethan said this. He said, well, the American Revolution was one of mine, but... Because I did it as American Revolution, I was able to write about many different parts of it rather than just one thing. We go to church on Sunday. We have church on Sunday night. We, we go to prayer meeting at church. We say, hey, you want to come to youth at church? We, we're going to cook out at the church and our men's going to meet and our women's going to have a special time at the church. We talk about church and this and church that. Well, if you look at the historical aspects of the church, you can see very prominent things that happen. And if I ask you to do that same essay about the church and pick four things uh, that has formulated who we are as the body of Christ today, some may say the Reformation. And some may say, well, the, the Nicene Council. Uh, or the closing of the canon of Scripture. But when it comes to the hub of it all, the, the revolution that changed it all, because, you know, you write about the American Revolution, you, well, you cover the American, uh, the Boston Tea Party, and you, and you can cover uh, Paul Revere's ride, and you can cover uh, the signing of the Articles of Confederation in York, Pennsylvania, and you can cover all of those aspects In the revolution, well, chapter 2 of Acts is the birth. It is the eclipse 
of those events in the birth of and the existence of the church. Acts chapter 2. If you're going to know something about the church, read the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 2. And as we look through this chapter today and survey it, we look at the purpose and priorities of our church. The purpose and priority. Sometimes we, we get that mixed up. We think our purpose is about pleasing ourselves, having all that makes me happy, and putting everything else behind. And that we're willing to sacrifice our walk with the Lord, our walk with our spouse, our jobs, our future, our past, whatever. We're willing to give it all up to fulfill our felt needs. The Bible says that Moses was basically the opposite of that. That he chose to serve the Lord rather than enjoy sin for a season. I don't know about you, but the carnal, casual Christianity of today just absolutely kills me. It just kills me how we can talk out of one side of our mouth and live completely opposite out the other. That we put the Lord in such a way that we have glassed Him into this little box and we said, that's the church. But the church, the body of Christ is a living, breathing body that lives to serve and without a head, the body has no life. When we put Him as our priority, when our purpose is to serve and to please Him. For you cannot say that Jesus is Lord and tell Him no. It's impossible. If Jesus is your Lord, then your answer will always and continuously be yes. Because in saying He's my Lord, you're saying He's my Master. I am His servant. And to serve, you are to be obedient. Now think about this. What happens when our purpose and priorities get mixed up? Now, I know it was a, an advertisement trick that they tried to do to really catch everybody and be really cool uh, uh, and to get people's attention. But not too long ago, IHOP. What does IHOP stand for? International House of Pancakes. But they said it was going to be IHOP. That we're going to do burgers and all this. Well, it turned out that, that they never intended that to be to start with. But I don't even think their management understood that. I mean, their stock plummeted. I mean, it was just an absolute mess. It was chaos. The, it, it comes second only to when Coke decided they were going to change. I mean, how do you change Coke? You, you leave it alone. And so then they said, oh, you know what? We're going to go back and call it classic. We're, going to, we're just going to consider this historical and never do this again. The church has lost its way. When we put anything and everything as our purpose and priority over Him and pleasing the Lord. Everything about the church ought to be lifting Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll do what? I'll buy everybody a car. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I'll make everybody healthy, wealthy and wise. No, that's not what he said. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. 
When we become so seeker sensitive and so seeker focused and, and we become warriors for more of the idea of what the world deems as social justice rather than be warriors of the cross, we've missed our purpose. And so in Acts chapter 2, we review the purpose and priorities of the church. What is our purpose and our priorities? Five priorities that we are going to look at. And to reiterate from last week, first, we must worship God. And I'm not going to camp out here because you should have been here last Sunday night if you weren't. But it simply is this. Worship God, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, acceptably with reverence and awe. We come into his presence seeing that he's God and we're not. And there are eight elements of worship. Preaching, praying, praising, ordinances. Hey, so far we've done pretty good this morning, haven't we? I'm, I don't know about the preaching part, but we've prayed. We've praised. I mean, good, good Father. And when we sing that and mean it, that's praising. Amen? We have saw obedience in the ordinances through baptism. That they said, I'm going to do what God's called me to do and be baptized. We have taken up tithes. And some have given above their tithe in offerings. There is confession and repentance. And you can do that even where you're at right now. And right now, the Spirit is just overwhelming you that before you can go any further, there needs to be some reconciliation. That you need to allow God to tear the wall of the flesh down that you may see Him and walking Him as He means for you. There's something unconfessed in your life. You need to get right. Confession and repentance. Stop hanging on to it. Stop being so prideful you're afraid of what someone else may think. Give it to the Lord. Jesus died for it. Put it under the blood. Profession of faith. Letting the world know this is who I am in Christ. This is what God has done for me. Yesterday, one of our newest church members called me. I didn't get the call. I was doing something. I called him back later. He said, I didn't mean to bother you on a Saturday, but I wanted to give praise and let you know what prayer will do. I said, brother, I'll take them kind of prayer, them kind of calls anytime. He began to express how he had been praying for his father and how God had answered prayers, not just about him physically, but about him emotionally and other things and how God had done a great work in his life. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's profession of faith. Scripture reading and study, we ought to be in God's Word. Worship, as we see in Acts chapter 2, ought to be exciting. There's nothing, I'm a pastor, I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing worse than a dull church service. You know, I'll be honest with you. Y'all ready for this? Now I get up here and I see all of you every week. So don't start pointing fingers. I've gotten sleepy in church too. God's called me to preach because he knew I couldn't sit down and fall asleep if I was standing up. Got close a couple of times. But there's nothing worse than a boring... Listen, is Jesus exciting or not? He changed the world. He died when the world thought, hey, we've got him beat. He comes back to life. 
I mean, it'll rock your world now. We talked about in Sunday school this morning when a guy had sat beside, laid beside the pool for years and nobody would help him. This guy had no family, he had no friends, he was a reject. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and said, hey, I can heal you if you believe. He got pretty exciting around the pool and he never even had to get wet. Some of us are waiting for others to help us do this and others. When Jesus is the only one that can do it, we ought to worship him today. And when it's exciting and dynamic, I'm not talking about taking the world's model and making it a, a church, but I'm going to tell you, that it ought to be exciting. I don't think we have to sit there and we have to be so uh, gregarian in our worship that we only do it this way, but I don't believe our way is the only way either. As long as he's the only way. Come on. There's some who preach much quieter than I do. And they do a lot better job. There's some that preach a lot louder than I do. And do a lot better job. There's many different formats and different ways. But worship always has Jesus Christ, the Son of God, first and foremost, in the process. That is the priority. Start with worshiping God. Number two, we must be intentionally evangelistic. That's the second priority. We must be intentionally evangel uh, evangelistic. Sunday school, does that sound familiar? To be intentional? How do we become intentional? Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Already you know that got pretty exciting. And there's been a lot of false doctrine, a lot of things born out of this. But notice what he said. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Uh, uh, and in the original language, literally means to speak with other languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now listen to the context. Now when this was noised abroad, when it was told all over, the multitude came together. And they were confounded. Why? They, I mean, literally their mind was blown because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how do we hear every man in our own language, our own tongue, wherein we were born? Now I want you to notice something about this. Number one, it was the work of the Spirit. It was not man. And I want to make something else vividly clear. Those apostles didn't stand around on the Mount of Pentecost slapping each other on the head, running circles, and just going blah, 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 bow tie, bow tie, send me bow tie, habada, 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 habada. They were speaking in languages that other people could understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unlearned men who the Spirit of God fell on was able to speak in the language where they would hear. Words of the gospel. Not an unknown tongue that nobody heard or a secret private language between them and God. They were lifting up Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel. It was a supernatural gift that the Spirit of God gave these men. But in so doing, these men made themselves available. 
It is pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism literally means to connect. What did he say? He said that the Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven came together. First of all, we connect. That's what being evangelistic means. We connect. Now see, I know, I could stand around and me and Coach Bluestein could stand around and we could talk about basketball. We could stand around I, because I know his heart. That's what he does for a living. And, and it's, it's not just something he does for a living, it's his passion. And so we could talk about how the Warriors couldn't shoot from the field last night and how they couldn't close the deal and how they just blew up in overtime. We could talk about the, the, the silliness of, of being selfish, trying to dunk at the end rather than just a clean layup and playing as a team and, and how it... I, I, can, I can talk with him about that and he knows a whole lot more about it, but I can relate to him through that. Relate to John the same way. I can talk about music with Trey. I, I can talk about hunting uh, uh, with Danny. I can talk about uh, other things with other people. And, and, and you can talk with me about golf or some kind of thing that I'm passionate about. You connect with people that way. Y'all look at me now like a mule-eating briars or something. Connect. You want to connect with someone? You can't be, hey, I want to tell you about what I'm for, what I like, and you need to adjust to me. If we want to be the body of Christ and reach people, then we've got to connect with where they're at. You see, we can't go to Guatemala and try to make them Americans. That's not our job. Our call is to go down there and give them Jesus Christ and to love them. Now, we don't have the apostolic gift, but what we do have is interpreters. And so we're going to do it in our language, and the interpreter, which is a lot smarter than me, is going to hear it in English and speak it in, his, in Spanish, in their dialect. We've got to be intentional to connect. Are we connecting with our community? Are we connecting? I'm going to be real honest with you. We're not doing the best job. We're not doing the best job. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. If we look where our church sits, and this may ruffle some feathers, and I don't care. Because I know God called me to pastor this church, and I'm failing and I'm praying that God would show me a better way, a clear way, give me direction. But I know where we sit, our population is not all Caucasian. That in the shadow of our steeple is a great Hispanic population and an African-American population. And if we're not reaching them for Christ, because if we're going to say red, yellow, black, and white, then we better believe it and mean it and practice it. Don't tell me God loves lost people and then you use slang words and use... Listen, there is no room for racism in the body of Christ. And if you're going to show your ignorance, don't do it in front of me because I'll embarrass you. I'm just telling you. If you want to show your ignorance, be a racist. But if you want to show Christ, then you show them Acts chapter 2 and you connect wherever they're at. I'm not telling you to lower yourself and to do the things of the world. 
I'm telling you, meet people where they are at. Listen what, listen what Paul did. Listen what Paul did. Paul, man, this is strong right now. Listen to this. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, for though I be free from all men. In other words, he said, I, ain't nobody going to hold me to some standard they want to put on me. I'm not, I'm not going to be under somebody else's yoke. Now, I'm under the Lord's. I'm not going to be under anybody else. He said, but even with that, I have made myself servant unto all that I may gain the more. That's strong. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I may gain the weak. He said, to the Jew I became as the Jew, to those without law, without law. He said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now he didn't do the saving, but we know what he's saying. He said, I have become all things to all men that I may connect with others. We need to prepare. We need to be ready. We, we, we went through cults on a Wednesday night. We went through our foundation of faith. You can't tell people who Jesus is if you don't even know what you believe. You know what the Braves win, loss record. You can know exactly how terrible their bullpen is and not even know how to share your faith with someone lost. You can tell somebody how to put together and dissemble and put back together a motor or a body or whatever and not be able to say, Jesus can save you. We must connect, we must prepare, and then we must present. Listen, it's pre-evangelism, then it's proclamation. And one of the parts of pre-evangelism, we're going to have VBS training tonight, and we're going to have VBS uh, the second week of June. It starts Sunday night, June 9th. Goes through Thursday night. Amen? Amen? This could be the greatest year ever, but it's up to us. Could be, I mean, it's up to all of us. It's not up to just Jennifer or Michelle or the pastor. It's up to all of us. Are we going to invite neighbors? Are we going to do the work, put in the time? Are we going to say, well, I've just got so many other things? So does everybody else. What makes you so special that yours is a greater priority than the body of Christ? That it's more important than Jesus. Really? I'm going to tell you one day, you'll be crying out to him. What if he said, you know what, I'm kind of busy with everybody else today. Come back and get with me tomorrow. But he won't because he loves us. Doing pre-evangelism means we understand that vacation Bible school in 2019 is different than it was in 1978. And in a lot of ways, that's good. I'm glad we don't have felt boards anymore. By the time you get right in the middle of your felt board, the felt would turn loose and it'd fall on the ground. Did y'all see me have to save Timmy this morning? I mean, if you're going to be a real rock and roller, put you one of them things and stick all your picks up and down the... He said, get my pick, get my pick. We've got to be prepared. And I'm picking with Timmy about that, but here's the difference. 1978 till today. 1963. 1985, 1978, kid go to Bible school, little Miss Sweet, Miss June or Miss Smith or whatever would say, hey, boys and girls, today we're going to learn how much Jesus loves us. 
And everybody in the class, I'm talking about that had never been in church before, knew who Jesus was. Because they had a grandmother or an aunt or somewhere, by osmosis through a friend at school or somewhere, they heard about Jesus. They heard about Him on TV. On Saturday, it was not just for filthy uh, uh, comics and cartoons. It, there were things around the world. It's not like that anymore. You can't just say, hey, believe in Jesus. They say, hey, I, I, I believe in Jesus. He's, he, he's kin to my cousin. He's my cousin's brother. It's panic. Jesus. They don't understand who Jesus... Well, who's your Jesus? The, Bible, the world says that Jesus can be many of different things and hey, we all believe in different things and now we've got parents not just saying, hey, I'm going to let my kids pick with who God they think is God or if there isn't a God and they now can even decide they can pick their own gender and their own background, their own future, their own everything. I've got news for you. God created you and God has called you. And God has a plan for you, and anything less is failure. Pre-evangelism means we prepare to meet people where they're at and explain who Jesus is. Proclamation means use the word. You know, there's, there's this old saying that they have ascribed to St. Augustine and then to others is preach the gospel, and then if you must, use words. They really don't know who said that, and, and, and the intent is right. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says use the word. Chapter 2, verse 14. This is what happened. He used the word. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of, Jude, uh, of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. What words? The words of the apostle. And what words of the apostle? The words of Jesus Christ. We must use the word. He said in verse 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. Well, I don't believe you need to be baptized. I don't need to, be, need to do this. It's not up to you what you think. God's Word says repent and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Use the Word. Do it with passion. He said in verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. If you knew someone was getting on a boat that was going to sink and their life depended on it, you'd do everything you could to keep a person that you loved off that boat, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? If you knew that they were, they couldn't see what was going on. Parents, you can amen me right here. That you can see things that your kids are flirting with and they're walking and skirting the edge of and you know if they step off into that hole, it could be a long fall and it could be very painful. You'll do everything in your power to protect your child, won't you? Urge them, love them, encourage them. Hey, I've, I've stepped off in that hole. I have. And we try to keep them. Well, I want to tell you, with passion, we ought to be telling people, hey, there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Jesus didn't die 
on a cross just so we could think we can get into heaven on our good works. We can be a good daddy. We can be a good mama. We can go to church enough. We can give enough. We can be pretty enough. We can be sweet enough. We can be the greatest grandmother that has the greatest cake recipe in the world and die and go to hell if you don't trust Jesus Christ. In everything, everywhere, to everyone. That's our call. We must be intentional in our evangelism. That's our second priority. Third priority, discipleship. We must teach God's Word. Not what we think. I love to hear, hey, in Sunday school, 1 Peter. In Sunday school, Gospel of Mark. In Sunday school, we've been studying the Genesis account. In Sunday school, in youth, in small groups, we've been studying about the Gospel. We've been studying about Job and the trials that Job went through. This fall, Lord's willing, we'll have another semester of truth to you. I'm not sure what will be taught, but I can tell you what will be taught. The Word of God. We need discipleship. You're going to like these coaches. Dakota, what do we always hear? Coach them up. Head coach will tell assistant coaches, go over and coach them up. Coach them up. I've, I've been batting coach. I've been outfield coach. I've been pitching coach. I've been linebackers coach. I've been uh, backs coach. I've been receivers coach. I've been all these. I hadn't been a line coach. Never built to be a line coach. Never was a very good basketball coach. I just kind of helped around the edges. And didn't do a very good job of that. But the one thing I do understand is coach them up. I don't have to know everything to know how to coach them up. To get them pumped up, to, to know more about the game, to study more about the game. And you know how you coach them up? You lift them up. You encourage them. Yes, sometimes it means to be tough. Tell them what Jesus says. We need to be coaching them up. Coaching our brothers and our sisters up. Lifting them. I'm not talking about... Listen, that whole idea of cussing them out, chewing them out, talk to them like they're dogs, there is no place anywhere in the church, in the high school, in college, in pro anywhere. You're not going to get more like that. You're just not. And listen, any of y'all that are still coaching think you've got to, now sometimes you've got to raise your voice. I'm all about that. I remember when I moved to Claxton, the first thing the head football coach told me, he said, hey, we're glad you're going to be here. Don't grab him by the face mask. I said, even my son? Yeah, especially your son. I said, that's the only way I can motivate him. I can grab him by the face mask. He'll run through a wall. Well, you're going to have to find something else. But you can't grab him by the face mask. There, two years ago, there was a head coach, famous head coach, all over MTV, coaching big school in South Georgia. And on public television during the quarterfinals or the semifinals for the state 7A championship, he headbutts a kid. Kid had a helmet on. Coach not real bright. Blood running down his face. And they protected the coach and they tried to mealy mouth and they, he got this little, well, he's gone now. They fired him about two months ago for a lot worse things. You don't need that. You need to be showing, telling them what Jesus says. That's what coaching people up means. Telling them what their responsibility is. He said in verse 40, look at this. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves for, from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
We need to coach them up, church. Coach them up. Tell them what Jesus says. You want them to really know how? You know how I learned most of my coaching? Watching other coaches. And if I couldn't figure it out, it's amazing what YouTube has. You want to be a good coach? Get on YouTube. I mean, listen, you can, you can go over and look and listen to some of the greatest coaches there are. You, they've got recordings they've put online now. You can go back and, and look at the greatest coaches of time and some of their, their mentality and some of their priorities and their, 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 whole, their philosophy on coaching. You can learn a lot from those things. I can go back and study the Acts of the Apostles. And if I want to tell Eastside how to be God's church, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go to the greatest coach of them all. And then his greatest staff that's ever been recruited, Jesus and the apostles, and tell you our responsibility. Tell them what Jesus says. You wondering what to do? Your kids come up, what do I need to do about this? What do I need to do about that? The world, your, your neighbor, your coworker, tell them what Jesus says. Then show them. Show them. That's the whole idea of being a, a mentor. Being Accountable, you show them who Jesus is. But if you tell them this is what Jesus says, but you don't show them that, do as I say, not as I do, you have been discounted. And everything about your testimony will always be less than what it could be. If you're going to coach them up and you're going to tell them what Jesus said, then you've got to show them. You've got to show them, and that means you're going to hold yourself accountable to others. We need to be accountable to one another. And then join them. Real leaders doesn't say, hey, go do that. They say, come go with me. Join them in your availability. Serve. Listen, we have a deacon body that understands, and we can always do better as a pastor and deacons, but they understand that we are called to be servants, not leaders. He said, come follow. Now, in servant leadership, we lead by our example of following. It's kind of oxymoronic, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It doesn't make good sense. But Jesus said, hey, if you want to lead, serve. Join them. Make yourself available in everything that God expects from you. That's how we make disciples. We decide. It, it, it's, not, it's not just worship. It's not just evangelism, but it's discipleship. Hebrews 5, 12 says it this way. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. Some of you have been saved 20, 30, 40 years. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's Hebrews 5. If you're still living on, off the milk, you don't know the difference from the, of the Acts of the Apostles from Esther. You don't know the difference in 
Corinthians and Chronicles. You don't know the difference in Hosea and Hebrews. Maybe it's time to eat more meat. That's the problem. The church has become anemic. We need to make ourselves available by joining in, studying, learning, growing. You, if you're in leadership here, it ought to be understood. You're going to be the most faithful of them all. Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Sunday school. If you're going to be an ordained man of God, you ought to be the first one here. You must lead by example. Or nobody's going to care. You know how we've lost the generation of teenagers and college students? Is they've watched our hypocritical walk that we said one thing and did something else. I know it's painful, but church, if we're going to be everything wants us to be, if we're going to lead, then we've got to do it by example. Responsibility, accountability, and availability. But then, the fourth priority, fellowship. Now this is one Baptist can get a hold of. This is something we can, most of us get behind. But I, I, I hate to break your heart. It's not just about hot dogs, pizza, and a good homecoming lunch every once in a while. If for no other reason, churches ought to have homecoming because that's when the best food's cooked. Amen. Hey, truth's the truth. He said in chapter 2, verse 42, they continued in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. When Jesus called Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, where did he say he was going? To his house. Where did he meet with Matthew, the tax collector? And what did they do at the house? They ate. And it was the last what? Supper. Jesus was all about a good meal. When the last thing we see in John, what happens? They're out fishing. They thought it was all, all over. But the crying, Jesus strolling down through there. He said, hey, cats, what's going on? Oh, nothing. It's just terrible. Y'all ain't calling nothing? No, we ain't calling And then they saw who it was. And we all have the, we have the, do you love me speech and all that. But you know where he was asking that? Over fish that he cooked for them. He said when they got there, there was a little fire and on the coals, Jesus had cooked fish for them. The whole point is, it's not just about the food, but food is a way that we can bring unification together. I, listen, this is what I want you to hear more than anything about this. He said they came together in fellowship. He said, and they were breaking bread and in prayers. But notice what else he said here in verse 46. And they continuing daily with one, what? Accord. One accord. What does that mean? They all drove in a Honda? One accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Get this, church. Without a warm, loving fellowship, no church can grow. People will never, never feel wanted in a place where there's bickering, selfishness, 
coldness. Preacher preaches too long. The, the air is too cold. Everything's not my way. I'm going to take my toys and go home kind of church where tensions hang heavy in the air. Fellowship, fellowship must follow evangelism and discipleship to make a place in church where new Christians feel at home. We ought to be able to fellowship. I love to fellowship, especially when there's a good ribeye or some chicken wings or something to go, hey, I, you look around, there ain't many of us doing without now. Unified in Christ. But I'm going to tell you, I can't stand bickering. I can't stand it. The backbiting, just envious, strifle, complain about everything. Well, it ain't the way we used to do it. Well, get over it. You don't look like you used to either. You don't do the same things you used to do. Deal with it. Unified in Christ means that we have a taste of heaven and it's evidenced in our fellowship. He said devote one to another with what? Brotherly love. He said you'll know how you know the church. You'll know how you know that people are keeping the Lord's commandments because they love the brethren. If you don't love, if you go out and you talk about east side, if you talk about your fellow members, you talk about your pastor and deacons, you talk about others in your church, you talk about others in your youth group, then what you need to do is stay wherever you're at and don't come back. Because if you can't lift up your brother and sister in Christ, you have no use in this body. If you're doing nothing but trying to seek to tear down and destroy, God says, I'll have my way with that. And it will be done away with. Unified in Christ. Isn't it just more fun to love on one another? Huh? What is one of your favorite parts in worship? We found out. We like to fellowship, don't we? We like to hey. Church, we're going to take a moment. We're going to play a little bit. Just shake hands with somebody around you and me and Matt look at each other. It's like four minutes later. We're like, hey, just take your time. They're going, they're going to get done when they get done. We need to get back in so we can get done. But we love to fellowship. But there must be unity. If you can't go to someone else, maybe before you leave this property, you need to go to them to reunify. What God wants. You've had, you've had hard feelings for months, for years. You've got something. You need to go home and call somebody. But in loyalty to Christ and His church. Loyalty. Are we loyal to Jesus Christ first and foremost? And I'm going to tell you something. Loyalty does not mean just being tolerant of all the things in the world. We can love them without giving in. We must move from welcoming to wanting. We're not just, oh, that's a great church. They just love on you when you... Yeah, but are we going and wanting them to come? Are we wanting people that don't look like us, sound like us, talk like us, dress like us? They're not from our family. They're not from even here. But they've moved here. Loyalty to Christ and His church. You all know what we do well? We do well loving on people that were members of our church 20 years ago, but haven't darkened the doors in a decade, but let a family member die, and we're still going to love on them. 
We do a really good job with that. But why don't we love them while they're still living? We could do a better job with that, couldn't we? You say, well, they don't want to come back. Well, we just need to document it, take a piece of paper. They say, I do not want to come back. Then just take a piece of paper and say, just sign that. We'll take your name off the roll. Simple. But we won't know until we go and love on them. Love for the family. Love for the family. Fellowship cannot happen without your personal participation. Well, preacher, I, I really thought you'd come by and see. Well, I didn't know you were sick. Well, you just should have known. Really? How does that work? Well, I've called and sent messages. Uh, I, how, how do I know all that? You know, believe it or not, I'm not trying to patronize myself, but I don't sit at home every night and all weekend just waiting on somebody to call with a problem. I got a family. I like to have fun. I like to go fishing. I like to do things too. Church, we need to be loving on one another. Love each other up. You want to get rid of the preacher? Really, you want to get rid of me? Then brag on me. Tell me you're going to pray over me. I'll preach myself slammed to death. Either that or somebody tell me they love me and I'll look at them and I'm like, and have a heart attack and fall over dead. Volunteer for something. Sure to have a stroke. Love for the family. Gossip, slander, unforgiveness, holier-than-thou holier attitudes are all fellowship killers. We've got to get away with that if we're going to make fellowship a priority. Can I, I'm going to grind an axe right here for just a minute. No, I'm not even going to. I'm going to take about 23 seconds. Stop thinking everybody on social media cares about your feelings. And stop thinking you have a right to tell everybody else they're wrong and that your feelings matter more than everybody else. Grow up. Grow up and understand didn't nobody care who Jesus was and he was the son of God. Don't be surprised when they hurt your feelings. And don't think you have a right to tell everybody how mad you are. Honestly, nobody cares. Nobody and the ones who say they do are lying. Because they're probably one of them that stirred it up. They're talking about you when they tell you, oh, I know, sister, I don't know what's wrong with them people. They're going back. You see what she put out there? Hey, just some of the best ways you can love people, shut up. Huh? My wife's not in here. I use that word. She'll get on to me if she hears about it. But sometimes we just need to be quiet and love people where they're at. They're not going to always agree with us. They're not going to do what we want them to do. But God loves them. Amen? I'm thankful because I'm making a lot of people mad. I'm probably making a lot of people mad this morning. But the truth is, didn't everybody like Paul? Didn't everybody like Peter? And I don't take great, I want everybody. It upsets me when somebody says, you know, so-and-so left the church. I don't, it, it breaks my heart. I always internalize it. But church, I want you to know, and I can say this unequivocally this morning because I prayed this prayer. I love every single one of you. And if I've offended you, I'm standing here. You come tell me after church. But I'm going to tell you, even beforehand, I ask you to forgive me because I know I've let you down. I've let you down in 
Maybe I didn't call when I should have called. Maybe I didn't reach out when I should have reached out. Maybe I dropped the ball on something. I can understand, listen, I'm a failure. If you don't believe me, ask my son. That's my daughter. You don't, you don't know how big a failure is? A preacher is ask his family because they can tell you. But one thing I do know that I'm loved in Christ and I'm accepted by the beloved. And that for all of us, listen, today, if you're carrying that, that guilt, that estrangement, understand there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Let me finish. The fifth priority. We must meet physical needs. The Bible says, what good is it to say, when people are hungry and they're cold, if someone comes and says, oh, be warmed, be filled, and send them away with no coat, no food. We've had several the last couple of weeks that come to us wanting food. They want money, they just need a little food. They need a little... July is our month we take up, and I want to go on and start urging you to prepare to bring food in during July, we take up for the food bank. Well, what we're going to do this year is we're really going to push it because we're going to set up not our own food pantry, but we're going to have some little triage, quick fix, get them through two or three days because the food bank's not open every day. So what if they came up on a Saturday or something? We were able to go in there and pull a quick bag. So we're going to build that. Bridget and I have been talking about that, trying to work on, so we got to meet people where they're at. What good is it if they're about to die of hunger? Now, I'm a, I'm a, I've become cynical in some ways, and I pray God break that. But everybody in Evans County is not as poor and as needy as some of us think they are. But what they do need is Jesus. Y'all with me? And here's our policy. You don't know our policy on giving? Here's what's really cool. People send them all to Eastside. Go to Eastside, they'll give you something. Go to First Baptist, go to First Methodist. Here's our policy. Number one, you come to our church and you want something, we may help you. We may help pay a water bill. We may help pay a gas bill. But first of all, you're going to fill out an intake form. And it's about a three-page form. You're going to tell us your background. You're going to provide us with a social security number, that usually throws out about 95% of them. That's the truth. There's times we've saw names. I'll say, Joel, and call your husband and see if they know, he knows them. I've called Dale and said, hey, do you know this name? Does this name sound familiar? Because here's the deal I told before. We don't make things. We don't sell widgets. We're not... We're not buying and selling. This is not a for-profit company. This is a church, and we depend on the tithes and offerings of the body. And so the Bible says be good stewards, right? So to be good stewards, they have to fill that out. Once that happens, then God has instructed us that we're going to fill their bellies, we're going to fill their hearts, we're going to give them the Word of God. They've got to attend a worship service. And then we have a benevolent team that sits down and discusses it. But here's the deal. It's not just through giving of money that we meet. We do it prayerfully. You see, he said in 1 Corinthians 16 that Stephanus, the house of Achaia, was a, they had addicted themselves to ministry. I love that word. Addicted themselves to ministry. It means they were full on attached and poured themselves into it. 
To be salt and light means we'll make a difference. There's nothing worse than to be in the hospital and they bring you hospital food that they've not seasoned. It's good food, just needs a little seasoning. And there's no salt, there's no pepper. I don't know about you, I'm not eating a baked potato without some salt and pepper. A little butter, a little sour cream, you know, a little added. But just plain old, just bland. Well, it's better than nothing, but you know what? If we're going to make a difference, then we've got to be salt. We've got to do it prayerfully. Pray about the need. At Eastside Baptist Church, we ought to be making a difference in Claxton. We are simply to love and to love well, to love Claxton. And here's some ways we do it. We minister through Christ and Crafts. We do it through Vacation Bible School. There will be kids on this property, in this building right here, that the only time they'll hear love, the words love, and somebody to tell them they're loved will be that week. They'll get a better meal that week here than they will anywhere else that week. We ought to be, take that week and say, we're going to love well. We're going to love these children. We're going to make a difference. We can assist people in low-income, crime-ridden neighborhoods here in our area. We don't need to just discount people. There are people that are victim of where they were born. All of us are blessed. Let us pass that blessing. Through school supplies, food, safe recreation for the children, There's nothing cooler than to come up here on a Saturday morning in February and see these kids from all over our county come into a safe place where they're they're being loved and their coaches are sitting down with them right there in the middle of the basketball court and praying with them and sharing the Word of God. It's a safe place. We need to be looking for more ways to do that. And listen, let me finish. We are to be prayerful to be careful in how we do it. And that means to care, to really, really care for those that we're ministering to, to be constant. Are we constantly caring for people's needs? When we need to be consistent. Not just the people that we think needs it, but the people the Lord says need. You remember what did they accuse Jesus of? Eating with who? Publicans and sinners. He said, the people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick. Church, if we're going to be the body, if we're going to be the church called us to be, the Lord's called us to be, then we'll keep Him and His purpose and priorities first and foremost in our lives. As they come to the invita- with the invitation, how much do we care? If we're going to minister, we care... How much do we care? Are we constantly caring? Are we being consistent? If you need a place to get plugged into ministry, listen, you plan to attend our future ministry fair. You stay aware. We'll be announcing that very soon. Miss Michelle says this all the time, and it could not be truer. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ministry shows people how much you care. Here's the deal. Worship says, I love the Lord. Evangelism says, I love the lost. Discipleship says, I love His Word. Fellowship says, we love one another. And ministry says, I love the world. 
that the Lord has placed me in, and we're going to care for them. As we come during this time of invitation, are we evangelizing? And when I say are we, I want you to put it in your, your circle of influence. Am I worshiping? Am I evangelizing? Am I ministering? Am I allowing myself to fellowship? Or do I just rush in and rush out? Because listen, it's not just about you doing for others, it's about them doing for you. We all need it. I need this time. I need that Wednesday night prayer meeting. I do. I need it more than I want it most Wednesdays. Are we fellowshipping? Are we ministering? Are we helping one another? Are we being everything? And listen, today, all this is completely foreign to you because you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never been saved. You know about Jesus. You know about heaven and hell. and You've heard about the cross. But you've never come to a point and said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'll die without you and without hope if you don't forgive me of my sins and save me. Lord, I believe in you. Won't you come confessing today? You need to follow in obedience like Steve and Emmy did this morning. And you need to come and say, I need to be baptized to tell the world what Jesus has already done for me. You need to join Eastside. This is where you belong. You know it is. God's told you it is. You need to jump in there, both feet, and just go at it. Whatever it is, you need to renew your desire for Him, your calling, whatever it is. Come to Jesus. Right now, come to Jesus. Stand. Come. Come. We'll pray with you. Be everything God's called you to be. Be that in Him today.